So here's the problem. We got into yoga for peace and tranquility and then tried to make it our livelihood and lifestyle. We became students, teachers, studio owners, or retreat center builders. Then we realized it's still not that easy. Welcome to Dharmify with Hargobind. I'm your host. Here, I'll share the systems, tools, tips, and stories to bring the lessons of yoga into our chaotic lives. What's up, everybody? This is Hargobind. I woke up this morning thinking, I'm going to give these people a hundred pieces of good advice on building a yoga retreat center. And then I started and I was like, got to point number eight. And I was like, man, I ain't ever getting to a hundred. So today we have 40 pieces of good advice. If you're going to start to build a yoga retreat center. All right. In no particular order with no particular sense of value really just problems that I ran into that I think you should learn from my suffering and don't do what I did this is gonna be my top 40 thoughts for you coming into building a yoga retreat center for all you uh, high aspiring uh, yogis out there all right number one you're in the real estate business and all this, the typical real estate stuff applies. That your service is yoga and healthy food and taking good care of people, but ultimately this is a real estate play. That's number one. So as you get yourself into it, being highly mindful of the factors that are at play in developing real estate all apply. Number two. Sprinkler and fire alarm. Such a big important thing if you're gonna open up a commercial space using some type of alternative, you know, housing, building space. You've gotta put in sprinkler and fire alarm and the easiest and also health department regulations. So those are the top three all built into one piece of advice is understand what the fire marshal's gonna say, understand what your building director's gonna say, and understand what the health department is gonna say in terms of what you've got to do to bring it up to, to good legal code. And watch Wild Wild Country because it's the best example of what happens when you're arrogant and you don't work with the authorities and you, you, you don't play nice um, with the powers that be. Which takes me to point advice number three is understand your neighbors. That when you start bringing cars in and you start bringing people in and maybe you're a little bit different culturally than the people that are around you, having a good, strong, positive friendship building, con contributing, good energy relationship with the people around you is gonna make your life so easy. And if you go the other direction, it's gonna make your life so hard. All right, advice number four, build 10 bedrooms. Advice number five, well, let me talk about advice number four. So you build 10 bedrooms because that's ideally gonna get you 20 people. And I would do a setup with two beds each in each of the rooms. 
but I even go back and forth on that because sometimes couples really prefer those king beds. Um, and those king beds are just so much more comfortable for couples. So maybe you do a mix even of like some king beds with also a twin in it, but you really want to get to get 20 people into your retreat center because especially if you're selling to yoga studio owners, you're going to make your margins between 14 and 20 people coming in. So you, you definitely need 10 bedrooms and try to do 10 bathrooms if you can. You're going to spend a lot of money on that, but it just makes the whole experience so much more comfortable and fun. So do your best to, to get to get the 10 bedrooms. Uh, advice piece number six is going to be you get your bedrooms, but then make sure you have a, a, a gathering space, a dining space, uh, a great kitchen that's fun to work in, a yoga room, and a massage room. And I think with that setup, you're going to cover all of your basic bases of building your space. Advice piece number seven. Come in with at least one number. You need a number one and a number two. And a number one is the person who has the vision and sets out what we're actually going to do and build here. The number two is someone who's got your back and is going to actually work to get it done. A number one is a visionary, a number two is your chief operating officer. At least come into the project with you and one other person that has your back. I made the horrible mistake, well it was, it was my wife and I, but we also had a young kid and so in a lot of these situations it was just me going in with the good old boys and, and trying to sell a vision to a bunch of people that thought I was a total crazy person. And especially you're doing destinations with these retreat center properties, you're going to new countries, you're going to new places, you're going slightly outside of you know the metropolitan cities, generally into places that you don't know if you've got the vision. And I just can't stress it enough how having a one or two other people that really just have your back and understand what you're doing is going to make it so much more fun and, and, and so much more doable as, as you sit down to negotiate with the people around you. So know who's the number one, know who's the number two, and, and, and that should be enough uh, to, to, to at least build the culture of, of what you're doing. Number, uh, advice point number eight, money. Man, have a backup source. Like, do your best not to have to pour every single dollar that you've ever earned, plus more, plus everything on top of that. Ideally, go into the project where you have a little bit of a cushion behind you. It's just going to take so much stress. Literally, I want to say I had nine months of stress for no reason, simply because I was underfunded. The idea was smart. I knew what I was doing. I had the vision for it. I had the location. I had so many things going for me. I just literally didn't have quite enough money. And so you go into these things, and if you just don't quite have enough money, it's going to put you under so much pressure that you, that is really unnecessary stress. And there is something to be said is you just don't know till you do it. And, and that's true. 
and everybody can talk about it, some people can do it, and then a very small percentage of the world actually has done it. So there are just some lessons that you have to learn under the bottom of someone else's boot and and just don't make it one of them. It, come into the prod, do something else until you're actually ready on the money side to, to do it. Um, that's advice piece number number eight. Number nine, I'm gonna say, have your menu set before you open. <laughs> as common sense as that might seem, getting the, getting the menus in place beforehand is so worth it. I'm gonna put up a PDF of three of our, you know, three of our basic menus, or I'll put up like four nights four days of menus. It'll give you lots of good ideas if you decide to get into the Yoga Retreat Center space. Um, it's something that you can give to your chefs. And it's amazing. Cooking is um, an art and it goes on forever. And the more you know about the actual cooking and the actual creation of the food that you're doing in the kitchen, higher quality product you can deliver. And really, there's only well, that'll come to advice. Uh, let me finish up advice point number three, is get your menus in place before you open. So you have the clear thing you, of exactly what you're doing. Advice piece number nine is, um, what was it related to food? Something related to food. Work in the kitchen with, with your staff. Because the more creative you can be in the kitchen and the more leeway you can go with, with making the food, the better the experience is going to be. So um, advice point, point number nine is actually this. There's only three ways to mess up the retreat, really. One is your housing, which if you do the construction right, won't be a problem. Number two is the teacher, which um, is a little bit out of control. But number three is if you get the food right, you're just you're just winning at such a high level like the food alone people go on just cooking retreats so if you get the food right you you really take so many of the potential problems out of out of the system and really this business is about eliminating potential problems and so more that you know as the proprietor uh, the the better that experience is going to be even if you don't have a ton of cooking experience you can really learn a lot in a month's time and you can come hang out with me and I'll, I'll teach you whatever whatever I know if if you want advice piece number 10 approach the body work and massage spa product as as a form of entertainment that the that the amount of uh, therapies that you offer should be something that um, is uh, they can do every day that they could do um, massage one day and then they could do uh, rebirth the next day and then they could do astrology the day after that and then they could do um, you know hot stone massage the day after that have enough items on the menu for your body work that people could do something every day and that takes me to advice point number 10 encourage people to have experiences every day 
so that part of your pitch and part of your sale is see everybody, see every body worker, do all of the sound bath, do the cave meditation, do the ice bath, do, do all of the things that you're presenting because the experience is what I call baking the cake. And baking the cake is getting all of the ingredients together and then putting someone through a very special, curated, unique journey that you're creating for them so that hopefully you can totally change their life in a very positive, uplifting, and cool way. Which brings me to advice point number 11. Incorporate peak moments for the client so that you have a series of items that could be the thing that they're looking for. And so examples of that uh, that we use are ice baths, um, journaling workshop, uh, obviously like workshops and techniques on yoga poses, uh, cave meditation where we cut all the lights and you go into silence. Your unique venue and your unique uh, space that you're going to develop and work on is going to provide you different opportunities for peak moments. And the more of those that you can find, the better chances you're going to have to change people's lives for the better. Because most of us are coming out of routine situations. If you think about where the concentration of retreat goers is coming from in the United States, it's New York, LA, and San Francisco. These people are coming from pretty structured environments where they're living in their condo, they get in their car, and then they drive somewhere, and then they drive to yoga, and then they drive to the coffee shop and then they drive home and then repeat and take the kids to soccer practice and this is the chance for for you to reconnect them with nature and cool experiences and finding something that isn't part of the routine and not on google calendar because we all need to get off you know the the, the, the routine this takes me to point number 12 Make the routine really good. <laughs> Get them off their routine by getting them on your routine. The most professional places are running on schedule. And let the clients go off schedule. And this is something that I'm preaching to my massage therapists. It's the thing I'm preaching to my chefs. It's the thing I'm preaching to my staff. Is build your team in, in, a, in a way that they recognize the client is on vacation and the yoga, uh, if they have a, a yoga retreat leader, they're not used to doing this and so they're not going to run on schedule. But you run on schedule because the most professional people are on schedule. And this was a cool lesson that one of my teachers taught me is he said, Peter Jennings always had this thing where they said, if you tell me to do the news in 60 minutes, I do the news in 60 minutes. You tell me to do the news in five minutes, I do it in exactly five minutes. Tell me to do the news in 60 seconds, it will be 60 seconds on the dot. And to me that always meant the most professional people were always ready to end. And also always ready to go. And I feel the most professional yoga retreat builders are doing the stuff on time and then let the retreat center people be super chill 
and I think it's true in yoga practice and I think it's true in business. The way to be super chill and super relaxed is to be super tight, super focused, and just on your game. So you run your schedule on time, it means serve the meal on time, be ready, be professional, and then everything is gonna be super relaxed and everyone's gonna, everyone's gonna love you. Takes me to point number 14. Find a management style that's congruent with your business. And what that means is that if you're running a yoga retreat center or yoga business, find a way to be super chill and super relaxed and have a coaching style and have a management style that your clients would be proud of you for. So the way that you deal with problems and conflict should be something that you would be comfortable showing off in the yoga room. And the most incongruent stuff is always when the guy's an asshole and running a business that's supposed to be health and wellness. It ain't the way. Like, that is incongruent. We are preaching health and wellness and relaxation and strength and power and finding courage and all, all these good things. The management style should be congruent with the vibe of your business. And that means treat your employees super well. Find out how to surround yourself with a crew that you love. Doesn't have to be yoga people. It doesn't. It just has to be a bunch of people that get along and want to do a great job. That takes me to point number 14. <laughs> this was actually a comment on my team and my staff from one of my clients that was relayed to me. Best thing you can do is get people that will not only make the Kool-Aid, but also drink the Kool-Aid. And, you know, it's very sad that, you know, the whole cult thing and, you know, Jonestown and that history of, uh, of you know, Kool-Aid, you know, is just a really tragic story. And, and it's very important to understand, you know, the real dark side of, of uh, you know, just communities. Um, but... My point being, make a super awesome community that's worth buying into and is super sweet and kind and awesome. And, and this is a thing though, your best employees really will be the type of people that not only buy into what you're doing, but are also willing to put in the work. And you can build your staff and your team with just people that buy into doing a great job but you can't, you can't embody the, the product without getting people to buy in and practice and, and, and eat the cooking. And, and that's good. I'm going to finish that step here and then go to the next, the next one uh, for my advice piece number 15. But advice piece number 14, get people that not only drink the Kool-Aid, but also will make the Kool-Aid. So you gotta get both. They'll put in the work and they also believe in the spirit of what you're doing. Takes me to number 15, straight up advice. Never trust a cook that won't taste their own cooking. Worth saying again, when you're cooking, taste your food. Make sure you like it and that makes sure that the client will like it. And never serve something that you don't like. And this is the problem 
if you're gonna go to a new culture and you're gonna go to a new place, like even just in my situation with West Virginia, you know, vegetarian cooking is not exactly the trend. Like, I don't have a bunch of vegans who all of a sudden showed up and be like, damn, I can't wait to be part of this thing. No, it's a bunch of people who I've had to sell the idea to that I had to get them to buy in. And so for me, it's super important for me to keep encouraging them, taste what you're cooking, find a way to make it so that you like it and then the client's gonna like it. And that takes me to a advice piece number 16, which actually comes from cereal. Secret ingredient of cooking. You ready? The ingredient that must go into every recipe. Love. Love is the secret ingredient for cooking. And if you put in love into what you're doing, it's gonna taste the best. And that's why home-cooked meals are the best food. A restaurant will never compete with a good old home-cooked meal. It just can't. It's a system, but home-cooked meals are made with love. That's advice point number 16. Brings me to voice piece number 17. The secret ingredient of the yoga retreat is love. That if you find a way to love what you're doing and put it into into who you're hosting and find to realize that people are just coming for love all the extra you know building the rooms making the food bill you know teaching the yoga practice all that stuff is subservient to love that people just want to feel welcome they want to feel accepted they want to feel taken care of and they want to feel loved and you as the host have so much power over that experience because you're the house and how you greet them and how you treat them that's that's gonna last forever and and that's what people want and you just have to be perfect on the execution because you, you, otherwise that distracts from the core thing that you're doing of, of just loving on other people which takes me to number 18 Storage. <laughs> we'll go in a totally new direction. Build enough storage into your space that you can stash yourself with clean organization and 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 nice uh, arrangement of the extra materials that you're going to need. And storage, I'm going to talk about in a few ways. One, I'm going to say I always forget to build a linen closet, and you're going to use way more linens than you think. Number two. You're gonna need a good laundry room that can be neat and organized and clean. Number three, an outdoor storage shed. I converted my barn into the storage, but these, these construction sites just consume so much material that you're gonna need a stash somewhere. Um, number four, good storage of dry goods near your kitchen is important. Number five, a good storage for enough um, like plates and spoons and cups you're going to be surprised at how much you're just how much storage space you're going to need um to put uh to, to to stash all your stuff other important good storage outside your yoga room for your props and all, and all that stuff um good storage rooms for your pool area you know all your all your stuff for the pool 
uh, whether it, you know, it's um, all, all those materials. I think that's pretty good on storage, which is going to take me to point number 19, your pool. A pool is definitely worth it. The, I, I know it's a big, I know it's a big expense. It is what it is. Um, maintenance of pools is no joke, especially if you're in a place like West Virginia where you got seasons. You want to keep your, your debris as much as possible off of your pool. You want to make sure that your filters are super good. You want to make sure that, um, yeah, it's, it's a maintenance job, but it's totally worth it. Advice piece number 20 on the marketing. I would write down, I call it Guru's Blessing, but you can call it whatever you want. I would write down a hundred names of people that are gonna come to your retreat center. And I'd keep that list real close to you because it'll keep you focused for the first year or so as you, as you start to get yourself ready for clients. And that list becomes so important as you keep believing that that when you're done, people are going to show up. And that's that's an important that's an important lesson is is keeping that that group close. Advice piece number twenty one: If you build it, they will come. Is horrible advice. Let me say it again: If you build it, they will come. Is horrible advice. That is not the marketing strategy. The marketing strategy has got to be hand in hand. And so advice piece number 21 is document the process and use that as your, as your marketing. And document, don't describe is also what all the kind of, you know, media marketing gurus recommend these days is the best type of marketing is documenting your process and in building the yoga retreat center that's that's so important so don't wait to do your marketing to get open takes me to piece number 22 piece number 22 is you should expect that people don't believe you when you're building the space because they don't have the vision that you have but again with the with the concept of of document don't 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 preach as you're going through the journey document everything because that's going to help you build your story which brings me to point number 23 when i first started out with casa home i documented only the highs when i got when i got to casa home potomac i documented the highs and the lows and then i got scared because i thought i was going to lose control of the project and then i stopped documenting when things got you know, so difficult for me because I was also, I was also just spiritually drained and exhausted and tired and, and just, I, I just, I just needed to focus on construction. To the best of your ability, those, those low parts of the cycle, they, they, they they're gold, man. Like they, they really are gold if you can tell the story from the low parts of the cycle. And maybe you're not ready to share it with the world, but I would say keep some good, some good footage. Keep, you know, catch yourself on, on 
on uh, record, you know, give yourself some advice from, from the bottom because that's, that's really, that's really powerful. Um, brings me to advice point number 24, which is something that I heard recently is never trust an entrepreneur who hasn't cycled at least once. And this idea of cycling means that you've been high and you've been low. And so, so you've been through the full cycle of humility and, and success and prosperity and being broke and, and, and everything in between. Because if you've cycled the whole time, you're ready for a challenge uh, like this. Which brings me to number advice point number 25. I don't recommend you do yoga retreat center as your first entrepreneurial venue. Because yoga retreat center is really the combination of four businesses. And the combination is you're really running a yoga studio, you're running a restaurant, you're running a hotel, and most likely you're running a construction project as well. So you're a cook, you're a general contractor, you're a yoga teacher, and you're a hotel operator. That's four pretty distinct different hats to wear. And obviously, all of us in business are marketers. And so you really wanna have five pretty strong skill sets if you're gonna get into the yoga retreat business. Because I, I almost don't think you should mess around if, if you don't have a good sense of those five. Um, which bring, brings me to number 26 is delegation and the joke the joke these guys had on me was that if if I knew how to do massage when we first opened I'd be cooking the meals cleaning the rooms teaching yoga doing maintenance on your bathroom and then massaging you <laughs> thank God I wasn't also a massage therapist but when we first started opening, that was like a daily thing where I was teaching yoga class, come out, jump in the kitchen, serve everybody dinner. While everybody was dinner, I'd go, you know, pretend there was maid service and then start cleaning up people's rooms and fixing their toilets and stuff. So it's a little crazy, um, you know, because it is a small business and nature of small businesses, you're just wearing a lot of hats. But thank God I wasn't trained in massage. <laughs> Otherwise, these guys were joking that uh, I'd be in there, <laughs> I'd be in there doing the massages too. Um, but that really just speaks to there are really five major job, major leadership jobs that that you're most likely not going to have the money or the business to justify fulfilling. So you want to think long and hard. Before, before, before you go down this journey. Um, which brings me to point number 26. Point number 27. I'm gonna say point number 27 is finding your authentic way to do it. And finding your authentic way to do it is going to attract the crowd that you need. And finding the authentic way to do it means drawing some lines in the sand of what you're not doing. And my lines in the sand were pretty simple. That I was do not doing drugs. I was not doing alcohol. 
and I was doing vegetarian. And I was, I was not um, discriminating in terms of who I was hosting. And yeah, and those, so those, those were my four things. And so those drew some very distinct lines about what we were doing here. And I was not dedicated just to Kundalini Yoga or to just Integral Yoga or to just Bikram Yoga or um, the way that a lot of the other places were. I was just here to be of service and really be a guide but not the guru. And that was uh, a distinct um, thing that, that was important to me in the, in the projects that we were doing, that I was a resource to let the, let the client shine, who, whoever was leading the event. And, and that our job was to both be extremely present and knowledgeable and helpful and, and, and develop great content to be supportive, like I hope this podcast becomes, um, but at the same time, you're the boss and we are here to play a supportive role. And, and that, was, that was very distinct for me. The reason though that I had some very, some very tight rules that I, that I didn't bend upon was because um, those were just important to me and they, they were meaningful to me and I, I, I like them. Um, which brings me to point number 28 and we'll go through each of these in the why. The reason I did vegetarian cooking is because I've been vegetarian my whole life and I don't know how to cook meat. And I don't really want to learn how to cook meat. And I, I like vegetarian diet. It's not for everybody. There's certainly people that will not do well on the vegetarian diet. But I can provide a super high quality vegetarian experience and it makes me unique. And I, and I like and I like the reasons to be vegetarian. I think it's good for the environment. I don't like killing animals unnecessarily. I, I, I think that there is a certain conscientiousness to being mindful uh, of, of killing uh, of killing, you know. Uh, I, I, I think it is strong uh, argument with the ahimsa, which is which is part of yoga sutras. Um, so I'm into it. I like it. It doesn't mean I'm uh, a, a fanatic about it, but I, I, I really do like it and I think it carries through in the spirit uh, of, what, of what we do. Advice piece number 29, alcohol. One of, my, one of my friends, she always gets her people super drunk when they go on retreat because it helps them bond. And I, I respect her, her approach. But when I was listening to it, it made me distinctly realize that that's not the type of space that I want to create. And I want to create the type of space where people bond on their, uh, uh, on their authentic, more authentic selves. And I think when you cloud it with alcoholism and drugs, I think that it helps you relax when when the yoga practice and meditation practices and self-inquiry practices is the is the is the gold of relaxation it's being with ourselves and genuinely genuinely liking who we are and then connecting on those things in our most coherent 
in our most coherent minds. Number two, which was a big one for me, is I wanted to be a space that was welcoming to the addiction community. And that people that were struggling with alcoholism or they're in seven step, that, that, that this was a space that they would come and know that we got your back. And I liked that distinction from all the other places out there that you can go. And if I'm gonna be unique in some way, that's a place where I wanna draw a line in the sand. Brings me to point number 30, drugs. I'm yet to meet the person who comes to me and says, Hargubin, I started smoking crack and then my life got fucking awesome. I started, you know, doing, you know, meth and, and my, my, my abs and my, you know, beautiful hair and teeth just grew in so much better. I started smoking weed and now me and my wife just really found better intimacy. I'm yet to have the conversation, you know, and I have things to learn, but I'm just yet to have that experience. Whereas on the alternative side, I've heard numerous times of people saying, hey, you know, I stopped doing drugs, I stopped drinking alcohol, and now I look way better, I'm sexier, you know, I'm thinking more clearly, I have more money, and, and life is awesome. You know, that was a great move. And so it seemed like hypocrisy for me to offer drugs in the environment where I'm trying to convince people to like hang out with each other more and find good hobbies and, you know, bond over the campfire and the bonfire and having meals together. And then at the same time, I'm like, hey, I'm going to sell you drugs down at the corner. And that to me just felt like hypocrisy. And I don't think you want hypocrisy in your business. Um, I think you want authenticity. And I think you want all of, I, you want congruency. And so it just didn't feel authentic. And, and those were the reasons that I put my foot down there. Um, which brings me to point number 31. Point number 31, be so easy to do business with, give as many concessions as you can, over deliver as much as you possibly can, and then have your few things where it's non-negotiable. Where, where you, this is the hill you die on and you're not getting off it. But other than that, give them everything. But you gotta have your couple things that you're, 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 gonna, you're gonna die for. And this comes from so many angles, but, um, but it actually comes from sales training. And this, this, this piece of advice um, comes from my man, Uncle G, Ganesh. Uh, he teaches this method called conscious selling. And one of the concepts in conscious selling is you've got to have something where you say no, because you can't let the client push you around. And if the client pushes you around, they don't respect you. And this comes up all the time. Honestly, this came up yesterday with me where I, gave, I put on an event for someone. I set the date for them. I gave them a huge discount, set the whole thing up cheaper than ever, you know, cheaper than I normally do just because I like them. And then they come and tell me, I want a refund. 
and I, and now here I am stuck at the place where it's like I set the dates for them. Like I've done all this work. I paid the credit card processor. I set this whole thing up. I put the work in, and now I, because I was such a wimp, now I have to I have to stand my ground at the refund. And if the first time you have to say to no no to the client is at the refund level, you, you totally screwed it up. You just did. They need to know. They need to work. They, you, you need to make them work to respect you because if they don't respect you then they won't respect themselves and if they don't respect themselves they won't respect the experience and this brings me to point number 35 10 15 20 25 30 this brings me to point number 32 make the client respect you make the client respect you by demonstrating what a high quality experience they're getting themselves into and you you make the client respect you by by telling your story by sharing what you've done by being open with your mistakes and flaws and you make them respect you by showing the humanness of what you're doing don't hide hiding is for chickens and chickens get slaughtered Brings me to point number 33. Charge a premium for your services. And I'm the worst at this. I, I'm the worst at this because I'm just, I, I love being the low, the low cost guy. I've just made so much money being the low cost guy. And that's going to be my next point is be the low cost guy. But here's my argument for being the high cost person. Have something that you're charging at the top of the market for. Because if you push yourself to charge at the top of the market, it's going to push you to raise your quality to the top of the market. And so raise your quality to the top of the market and then push your quality to the top of the market. So they go hand in hand. Have at least something that you're going for. Brings me to point number... 34 maybe be the low cost guy <laughs> I, you know being the low cost guy doesn't get enough um, enough credit and really with Casa Mexico I was the low cost guy I was providing such a higher quality product at such a cheaper price and if you compared me to anyone who was doing what they were doing just Bolts to bolts, nuts to nuts, screws to screws, two by four to two by four. I was doing a better job at a cheaper price than anybody else around me. Here's, here's how you can compare it. I was including transfers, I was including meals, I was including concierge, and I was including uh, a bunch of amenities into the product at a cheaper price and making it easier for the clients to do. I was also including people could put their stuff up on the website. We would handle the processing for it. I even included promo and marketing material that people could just take out and put in their own posters for. If you look at any of my competitors in that Puerto Morelos, Tulum, Playa Carmen, Cancun area, that was within the beach vicinity. I was absolutely doing it cheaper and better than anybody else was. Now, you could say I was leaving money on the table by not charging a print more money, but in my view, I was making enough and I was already 
I was already fulfilling my mission and my objectives and doing it at the cheapest possible price. So, and that project has worked. Like, that's been a great project. Now, some, like, I was, tell, I was telling my sister, and she's like, yeah, you're an idiot, Hargobin, because, you know, who gets into business and then doesn't maximize what they're doing? You're just being lazy, and you're afraid to raise your prices. Yeah, my big sister, unfortunately, is almost always right. But I want to say I'm right. Because if you fulfill your mission, why do you care? This brings me to point number 35. Know what winning looks like. If you know what winning looks like, you can say, I can be the low cost provider. You can say, I can be the high cost provider. You can say anything you want when you know what winning looks like. And when you know what winning looks like, you can be the best negotiator on the planet because you can fight like hell and you can also just say yes. And the most annoying, irritating, greedy, ignorant, stupid people on the planet are the ones negotiating and they don't know what winning looks like. I, I, I should talk about this for two hours because I should just start naming people. Because I know so many of my friends who are negotiating over stuff when they just should shut up and say yes. Once you've got your victory, stop. You're just pissing off the rest of the world. And okay, you say, well, if I just negotiate because I know what he's got and I know I can claw back 10 more dollars from him, you know what you got with 10 more dollars? You are an asshole. And when you're just competing with the other guy, you're just pissing off everyone. When you could just sit back, get what you want, and then say, hey, I'm gonna be generous. And you know what? I know we're negotiating, but I want you to keep that 10 bucks. Go home, buy your wife some nice flowers, and, and just have an awesome day. And that's the beauty of knowing what your own victory looks like. It's not just about getting more. That's crazy. So when you know what winning looks like, you can take a step back, admire your work, you know, do extra meditation that day, learn to handstand, go another direction. Know what victory is. That is number 35, and that applies to everybody. Number 36, do your accounting from the get-go. Put your accounting people in place right from the beginning. 500 bucks a month is what I pay for an awesome outsourced bookkeeper. If you're doing this job, start it out right. Don't be like me, you know, don't, don't, don't be so, so panic oriented that, you know, you do your accounting six months into it because you know, you, you, you've done so much small business that you can't. Get super organized from the beginning. And I can't tell you, <sighs> Apple Computer and all the Steve Jobs books and all of that stuff is the best example of how you do anything is how you do everything. 
and when your bookkeeping is super tight, when you file your taxes on time, when 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 you when you're so tight with your receipts and categorizing everything properly and and you know your expenditures, it's a reflection of everything else that you do in your business. So start out with the accounting from the get-go, have your person in place and, and don't be sloppy with with that area of the business. Let's go to number 30. Let's go to number 36. Go with a five-year mindset on the yoga retreat business. One year for construction, and that's that's if you're hustling. It took me nine months at both of my locations, um, but I I was going hard, especially on Potomac. One year for construction, one year to get going. You know, people won't believe you generally. Like you're not going to book up unless your marketing is super tight and you got a great reputation. But really, they're not going to book up. Uh, into the first year, then you're gonna get some repeat business. By second year, you'll get pretty full. By third year, you should be finding your groove. Then year four and five, I would say you're probably gonna get gonna max out, you know, and should should fill up your space. And then you've got a couple years of of of, his, of history behind you. But really, come into this with a five year mentality, because um, that's that's what it's that's what both of my both my construction projects have have been like. Number 37. I would try to buy land around what you're doing. You're gonna raise the value of your property. If you can start to bring people to wherever you are, the real estate around you goes up. The best example of this is Disney. Is Disneyland. Uh, Disneyland, you know, Disney, Walt Disney, he goes to Anaheim in California and he buys up his property and he starts Disneyland. And then what happens to the city of Anaheim? It just explodes in value. And everybody around him makes a ton of money while while he's strangled and constricted. Not like you need to feel bad for Disney, you know, they've seemed to do just fine. But what they learned from that example was that the next place that they would go to, they would buy up all of the land around the area as well. And so then they go to Disney World and they go to Orlando outside of a major metropolitan, or not, not a major metropolitan city, enough of a city where they could get started and they start Disney World. And Disney World had all of this extra land around them where they could build up around them. And they just make a fortune on land in the area. And really, before uh, technology, the only way to make money was to make money on land. And that had been true for thousands of years of humanity. That that's how you made that's how you made your value. So the yoga retreat business is a, a small version of that, where you're going somewhere, you're putting your flag down, and you're starting to attract people for a unique service that you're going to offer. So if you have the chance to buy up the land, the time to buy up the land is when you purchase the uh, yoga retreat center. And obviously, you don't want to purchase the, the, all the land and then you don't get your construction done. But if you've got the money, that is uh, a nice play that um, is, is already, I mean, I haven't sold any land yet at Potomac, but I'm already seeing that this was a great idea because I've got all this extra subdividable land around me 
um, that is appreciating really nicely. Obviously, I'm getting lucky with just the way the economy is going, where land is going up, but but still the point is valid. Plant that seed in your mind. Maybe you got some friends, you know, you, you tell them, hey, I'll build the yoga retreat center. You guys go buy the land and we'll all live, you know, we'll, hopefully things will work out well um, and, and land will go up. Uh, brings me to point number 37. Have five extracurricular good activities to do, ideally within walking distance. So the extracurricular activities really make the experience. And that can be a water element, whether you get out, go on a lake, you go by the ocean, you go by the river, something that they can, they can entertain themselves on their own. Um, hiking is always a good one if you can back yourself up to a national park or you can back yourself up to um, some type of attractions where people can walk to. Ideally, ideally, walking distance to a small town is just phenomenal because it allows you to um, layer the experience where not all of the pressure is on you to sing and dance. Other things that people can do can be simple, like a library, you know, put, you know, have nice books laid out for everybody, a game room, uh, obviously pool and hot tub, uh, adventure bound stuff, bike rides, all of these things give, take some pressure off of you um, so that people can have a good time in between, uh, in between the events that you're producing. Takes me to point number... 38. Point number 38 is going to be you. Is that as the retreat leader, you definitely have the chance to be a star. And I was very conscientious that I want to be the guide. I don't want to be the star. But the skills that you're going to acquire through the process definitely will give you the chance to contribute a lot to people's lives. If you go on this journey, you're going to put yourself through so like even the five things that I talked about, general contracting, yoga teaching, cooking, um, hospitality and hotel management. You're going to become a unique character in going through the experience. And if you start to share that with people by becoming a great communicator, then you're going to add value to their lives. And all these people are going to keep coming through and they're going to want to know the story and they're going to want to know how you did it and they want to know where you're from. And so that is the chance for you to become a star and never shy away from your chance to become the star because we all need, we all need a guide and that's why the stars in the sky are so awesome. So um, be the guide and, and, and don't be afraid to be the star takes me to point number 39 point number 39 goes back to being the star and also be in the sky and this is one of my favorite lines is um, sometimes it's good to be the star and sometimes it's good to be the sky because the sky holds the space for the stars to shine and if we didn't have the sky, we'd have no stars to look up to. And what this means is that sometimes you need to blend into the background. 
and you need to give your people space. And so the best hosts, and honestly the best servers, know when to pop in, when to entertain the crowd, and when to pick up the dishes and disappear. And that to me is great service, is knowing when to be the sky. And that's my point number 39, is know when to disappear, and when to just, just let people have their space and have their moment. And, and that's why it's beautiful to be the sky. You can be the canvas upon which this whole story is, is told. Brings me to number 40. I want to talk about, I guess, the sky a little bit in your design because that's coming to mind. And in both of our projects, I'm happy that we did this. We basically did an all-white interior design. And what I like about an all-white interior design is it creates a very simple theme. And with retreat centers, they're often these um, they're often these boutique construction layouts where they can they're not uniform, they're not prison-like, they're not that communist building style that we used to see in India. They're they're boutique-y, they're different. And so to create a coherent experience you want to think about the overall design of the space. And for us, that meant we painted everything white. And then at Mexico, we did a dark brown uh, wood color interior to offset. And, it, and at Potomac, we did a, uh, a whitewash. And I'm very happy with the whitewash. And this, I got to give credit to my wife for, because these, these, these were really her ideas. And I just, she made me a believer on making a coherent theme to your project. So that's my 40th piece of advice. I hope it's useful to you. Uh, I am so passionate about building awesome yoga retreat centers. Um, if I can help you on the consulting side, or honestly, you just wanna bounce ideas off of me, uh, you let me know. I'm always game and uh, you know, one, one retreat center at a time, we're gonna make this planet a little bit doper, a little bit cooler, and a little bit more fun. Always available on Instagram, hit me up on Facebook, and uh, be sure to share this with someone who wants to go on the journey. Have a beautiful day, my friends. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, I think you'll love my book, Dharmafy, a daily practice to get your mind right, your business tight, be a love light so you feel all right. It's available at amazon.com. Also, you want to learn more about Dharmafy, try my course, Seven Days of Dharmafy, which is available at dharmafy.com. Finally, come visit me. Come see Casa Om Potomac. Come see Casa Om Mexico. I'll show you the best time. Lastly, if you enjoyed the podcast, share it with someone that you love. Please leave me a comment, send me a note on Facebook. Tell me what you like, tell me what you want to hear more of. I'll be sure to get you the best I possibly can. I wish you all a beautiful day. Stay Dharmified.